I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, the continued reopening of the Bay Area goes on as we see the arrival of more contagious coronavirus variants to the region. Next week, San Francisco is poised to enter the state's orange tier. That means many offices may reopen with restrictions, along with live entertainment and festivals and some long-shuttered bars. At the same time, some concerning news. Public health officials this week confirmed the first coronavirus case of a virus variant that has done tremendous damage in Brazil. My guests to talk about all this are the Chronicle's San Francisco City Hall reporter Trisha Thadani. Health reporter Aaron Alday is here as well. Hi, guys. How are you? Thanks for having us. Hi, Damien. Hi, Trisha. Well, thanks for coming on. I, I think that my introduction was a little bit down because there's been, just been a lot of good news. It feels like we're in the good news portion of the pandemic, Aaron. Yeah, actually, um, I've been feeling um, pretty hopeful. I've been actually been having some conversations with some expert recently, experts and and health officers recently, where people laugh and they they sound cheerful, and it's been kind of um, just you know a nice change of pace in our conversations. Even even you know when they're still very cautious and they're still issuing warnings and and telling people, look, we need to stay vigilant, we need to keep wearing our masks and whatnot. There's just like a, a vibe in the air. Um, that you can really feel that people are, I think, I think they're feeling really good that we're getting more people vaccinated. Um, you know, we're still having supply issues. There's still some sort of bumpy issues with especially with equity, equal access to vaccines. But we're we're getting the numbers really high up there. Um, you know, we're getting large um, groups of the of the population vaccinated. Um, and we're already seeing a lot of these these public health experts are telling me we're already seeing the benefits of that vaccination um, and, you know, we're not seeing outbreaks in nursing homes. Um, we're seeing, you know, really kind of cut off from from deaths in the community. So we're already seeing that. And, you know, the other aspect of that is, you know, more and more there's less concern that we're going to have, you know, this big fourth surge that, you know, has sort of been been lingering out there as, as a threat on the horizon for a while. Um, I would say we're not out of the woods yet as far as a fourth surge. We may still see it, but... Um, you know, with these vaccinations, there's a very good chance that it won't be uh, it won't be anything like what we've seen previously. All right. I want to come back to these variants later because you've written a lot about the race between vaccinations and the arrival of the more contagious variants. But Tricia, let's talk tears. Uh, you know, we're, we can be a little too San Francisco centric. So we talked about San Francisco being poised to enter orange, but San Mateo County is in orange, and some others are also on the edge of orange. What does this all mean? Yeah, so San Mateo County was the first um, was the first county to move into the orange tier, um, and San Francisco is close behind and is poised to move into it next week. Um, it doesn't. It won't feel too different from where we are in the red tier. I mean, when we moved to the red tier, the big thing there was that indoor dining could finally open again. Um, there was some increased capacity on indoor retail as well. Um, the sort of like the headlining things of the orange tier um, are that like offices can reopen with um, with 25% capacity. Um, down the road, um, Next week, we will hear more guidance from the city on what will happen with like live sporting events like the Giants, for example. Um, so we'll get a little bit more guidance on that. But otherwise, with the orange tier, it's more San Francisco is going to allow, um, you know, indoor dining and indoor retail to increase a little bit where now it's 25 percent. It can be 50 percent, for example. And you spoke to some business owners, right? Is this meaningful for them in San Francisco? 
Yeah, I mean, the difference, although the difference between 25 to 50% might not seem like a huge deal, um, for some business owners, it's actually the difference between whether it's worth it for them to reopen or not. So there's, there's this one restaurant owner who I spoke to today. He has one, um, he has one location in the Richmond and another one in Soma. And um, when the, the state went into the red tier, only allowing 25% capacity, he said that he did the math and decided it wasn't fully worth all the effort that it would take. It would actually cause him to lose money if he was only able to do 25%. But now that he's able to do 50%, he's like, okay, it seems like it might be a little worth it now. It's at least worth it to try. There's still a lot of unknowns, but at least... You know, he feels like he can he can move forward with reopening inside now. And Aaron, what do public health experts say about this? There's even though the rules are being eased, does that mean we should necessarily be pushing to to go back to places like offices? You know, it kind of depends on the health officer you talk to. <laughs> um, I would say most of them say say no, not quite that. You know, if just because things are opening up, as as Dr. Sarah Cody out of Santa Clara County said this week, and they're also anticipating moving into orange next week, um, you know, just because it's allowed, just because the state says you can do this doesn't mean it's necessarily smart to do that. Um, And I think, you know, the main thing is as these as more things open up and these these options kind of exist, I think people can start making, um, you know, their own sort of risk benefit analyses. So, you know, one of the good things with more people being vaccinated is as these things open up, if you're vaccinated, by all means, go out and, you know, everybody will say go go to indoor dining, um, you know, go hang out at bars, like do all the things that are opened up and, and feel safe doing that. Um, and for those who aren't vaccinated, um, you know, it's kind of like you just want to think it over. Like, what's, you know, what's your age group? What do you have any other risk factors? Who do you live with? You know, if you get infected, are you going to get somebody else sick who might have a bad outcome? So you still want to do those sort of, again, those risk benefit analyses before you you do some of these these behaviors, especially these indoor behaviors. Um, but, you know, I think most of us, you know, as the state, as the counties say, this is now allowable, can feel, you know, definitely a measure of comfort doing those things. I mean, you know, I'm not personally like I'm not I haven't eaten indoors yet. I haven't gone into a restaurant, um, even though it's allowed in in my county. Um, But, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to it necessarily. It's just not something that's super high on my list of things I need to do just Mm, yet. You sound you sound a little opposed to it. (laughs) I wouldn't judge you for cautious. doing it. I would not judge somebody else for doing it. Put it that way. I feel like I've gotten so accustomed to outdoor dining that I'm not sure if I can go back. I'm, I might request that the heat lamp be brought still inside. <laughs> next I, I did ask Mayor London Breed this week at a press conference if she would indoor dine. And she was like, well, I like outdoor dining. <laughs> and in her defense... It, yeah, that's Only true. And laundry. in her defense, she lives, she lives alone. So technically, under the current rules, she couldn't indoor dine because it's restricted to one household but yeah she well she could go by herself she could she could but who wants to do that (laughs) all right trisha you mentioned offices do you expect that that businesses in san francisco 
uh, will be taking advantage of this if indeed the city goes into orange? I would be, based on the conversations that um, we've had with some businesses, I would be surprised if there was this groundswell of offices reopening in San Francisco. I mean, we know just by by the trends and it obviously being a very tech-heavy city that a lot of these businesses, they it works with them working from home. Um, there isn't much of a reason for them to go back to the office. So... Yeah, I wouldn't expect to see downtown be repopulated anytime soon. All right, let's take a quick break, guys. More when we come back with Trisha Thadani and Aaron Alday on Fifth and Mission. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa. I'm joined by Chronicle Health reporter Aaron Alday, City Hall reporter Trisha Thadani. Thanks again, guys. Um, Trisha, you wrote about the mayor getting vaccinated in San Francisco. Yeah, and that was actually like a really, I know as journalists, we're supposed to, you know, be emotionally jaded to everything. But it was, you know, it was it was hard not to be kind of moved by that moment. Um, it was exactly a year to the day that she had very somberly gotten up in a press conference and said that the city would have to lock down the next day. Um, and just sort of like, seeing this split screen of events one year apart was actually a really nice measure um, or kind of not, or it was more of a hopeful measure of where the city was. Um, and, you know, it was a very jubilant scene. The mayor was excited. There was some people from, she went and got vaccinated in the Western edition where she grew up. Um, there were some people who had known her since childhood who came. Um, and it was also a really symbolic moment. Um, the mayor had purposefully gotten the Johnson & Johnson vaccine to sort of allay any concerns that people might have about it being, you know, not as effective as Moderna and Pfizer, which we know is not necessarily true because all of them have proven 100% effective at um, sort of preventing the worst impacts of this virus on people. Um, and she also got it to encourage people in the African-American community to get vaccinated um, as well. Obviously, the mayor and African-American, she knows a lot of people in the community and is hoping this symbol of her getting a vaccine, particularly the Johnson & Johnson one, would influence more people to get one as well. All right, Aaron, let's go back to the variant question. What is the latest? You mentioned that that we are sort of winning the race, but there are new variants that are arriving in the United States and being detected in the Bay Area, right? Yeah. So there, there is still this this race. You know, I've like you said, I've I've written a lot about this this race between the variants and the vaccines that we are seeing. You know, more new variants emerging. We're seeing the existing variants picking up steam and kind of getting you know more widespread in our communities. And the the thinking for for a couple of months now has been we need to get people vaccinated as quickly as possible to prevent these new variants from from kind of getting a foothold. And spreading further, and also preventing the emergence of new, uh, newer variants. So the there's there's kind of like four basic um, basic variants that are that are considered concerning by the CDC and 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 public health experts. Um, and we have now identified all of them um, in California. So California, you know, is home to all four of these. As of this week, um, a new variant, um, a variant from Brazil called um, they all have unfortunate names. This one's called P1. Um, that's 
known to be kind of it evades the immune response. So it could be um, resistant to vaccines. And it's in Brazil, it caused a big um, second surge of infection among a population that had already been widely infected. So the thinking is that people can be reinfected with this particular um variant. So we found the first case this week in California. That was down in San Bernardino County, um, so not in the Bay Area. We've also now identified four cases of a variant from South Africa that is kind of equally concerning for the same reasons as the Brazil one. All four of those cases have been in the Bay Area, two in Alameda County and two in Santa Clara County. Um, and then a whole bunch of cases of this this variant from uh, the United Kingdom, the B117, that that is more infectious um, and probably deadlier too. And then meanwhile, we have our own California bred uh, variant. And that one now makes up more than half of all cases that are, that are kind of sequenced and detected in California. So there's sort of this like, you know, Thunderdome battle going on between these variants um, in California, especially between that one from the United Kingdom and, and our homegrown ones um, to kind of see who's going to dominate. You know, the good news is that, there had been a lot of fear that these variants were just going to pick up steam and sort of blow over us. And that's that's not happening, at least not with these scariest ones. We only have five reported cases of these really concerning ones that evade the immune system. Um, we do have quite a few cases of the UK one, but that's not spreading nearly as quickly as people had said. There had been talk of that being dominant in California by the end of March um, or April. And right now it's only about like 1% of cases. I mean, it's real low level still. Um, and our California variant is spreading a lot, but that one is also, I mean, it's more infectious, but it's not nearly as as bad as the UK one. It's just a little bit more infectious. Um, and, you know, all the other signs that are sort of concerning about it, they're sort of like a mild concern. It's not, it's it's definitely one you want to keep your eye on, but it's not anything like it's it's sort of brethren that that we've been really worried about. So in a way, you know, the thinking is that maybe this California variant has been kind of pushing out, keeping some of these other ones from taking a hold and kind of doing us that favor, being a little bit protective in a way. I think that's kind of speculative at this point. But I think the big takeaway is, yes, we are seeing these variants. We're seeing that kind of uptick that we had long been anticipating, but it's not actually as bad as anybody had had predicted. Um, and that's, I think, a good sign that our vaccinations are really taking hold and and doing us favors. So, you know, increasingly, it's looking like we're going to win that race. We're going to come out ahead, at least in California. Trish, I want to go back to you for one second on the orange tear question. You know, we've been talking a lot over the past year about bars, which basically have been shut down across the Bay Area the whole time. It's been a terrible time. Uh, what is the feeling around bars and what are the new rules? Yeah, bars have been pretty battered during this pandemic. I mean, even in the beginning when um, restaurants could open outside, there were still no rules specific around bars and they and they really left they really felt a lot of them felt like they were left behind in all the reopening plans. Um, bars have since been allowed to reopen outside only if they were serving food, which, um, you know, caused a lot of um, tension for some bars who don't have kitchens, who didn't have the capacity to serve food, but also led to a lot of creative solutions where you saw some bars, um, you know, are partnering with local chefs um, and other pop-ups and stuff. 
Um, the or bringing in a truck or bringing from- in a truck. Yeah, I was at a outdoor bar the other day, and they had um, had kin- the chef from Kin Cow was there, so it was like this amazing thing um, wow. to pair with the wine. Um, so yeah, we, now that they're in the the orange tier, um, or when the city moves to the orange tier, the big difference will be that bars can open outdoors and don't have to serve food now. So that may expand the amount that are able to open and the way that they're able to open too. But again, you know, the question is whether people will will return, right? I mean, once bars get some freedom to open, it it seems like still such a perilous thing, the way people interact, the way they're drinking, the way they're uh, they're in close quarters. Right, right. And again, that was also kind of the fun of going to bars, right? Like you were in, at least, you know, for 20-something-year-olds like me, you were in these, you know, fun, packed places with music and everyone singing and dancing. And we're not there yet, and I don't think we'll be there very soon. But the idea that we can have bars even just open outside, it's it's a step. All right. Well, Tricia, thanks for reminding of us of our age. We, uh, Aaron and I, are not in our twenties. We appreciate that. You're welcome. Uh, one more, que- one more question for you, Aaron. You had an incredible article this week that looked back at the year of the pandemic, and you talked about how it may not be fully over when it's over, and it may be endemic. And what does that mean? So endemic basically means, I mean, endemic can mean a lot of things, but it means that it's it's always sort of existing in some level in our community. Um, so it's endemic could be, you know, influenza is endemic. Um, a lot of viruses are, are endemic. It could also be, you know, like whooping cough, um, you know, things like that that aren't quite as widespread or a little bit more rare or a little bit more unusual, but are still kind of existing in the community and, and anybody at any given time could sort of be exposed to it. Um, so, you know, the thinking is just that there's a whole lot of factors um, that that will make this thing stick around. And one is we don't know how long the vaccines last. We don't know how long immunity lasts. Um, we don't know what vaccine uptake is going to look like. We don't know if there are going to be variants that come out that escape our vaccines um, at some point and escape it really well. You know, the big issue is it's it's going to be years before we get enough people vaccinated globally to wipe this thing out. So even if we were to do like a really aces job in the United States and like get everybody vaccinated and just just crush this thing in in this country, which frankly is probably not going to happen um, for a lot of reasons, we would still be vulnerable to infections being brought in from all over the world because that's just the way we work now. So you know, the good news is that the vaccines are so good um, and and we will probably have some immunity that, you know, we'll adjust. We'll figure out how to live with this thing and not have it like destroy our lives the way it has for the last year. I mean, if we can just defang this, which is what we're already doing and get it so that people aren't hospitalized and don't die. Like imagine what a surge looks like if we just get a bunch of people with the cold, right? Like they've just got kind of an annoying you know, flu-like kind of thing, and they're not in the hospital and they're not dying, it's like, okay, that's unfortunate. I mean, that's that's not fun, but we're not going to shut down our economy for, for something like that. So I think we can adapt and have like, you know, I think fairly soon we can have a pretty good kind of coexistence with, with this virus, which, you know, I think is really, is really good news. All right. And in any event, I hope it doesn't affect Trisha's nightlife plans and all the pop-ups that she's Me enjoying in the too. city. Me too, Damien. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Damien. Thanks, Thanks Trisha. Thanks to my guest today, Chronicle City Hall reporter Trisha Thadani, Chronicle Health reporter Aaron Alday, to King Kaufman for producing this episode. 
and thank you for listening.